Good morning, church. Is everybody doing okay this morning? Yeah, you guys look okay. Hey, we got to continue to celebrate what happened last Sunday. It was just an awesome celebration of baptisms. We had a total of 19. 19 baptisms. Yes. 12 in this campus and 7 in our hillside campus, which shows us that we're living out our mission. And let me remind us of what our mission is here at Grace Bible Church, is to lead our city into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. And God, through his son Jesus, changes lives and uses us, his church, to accomplish that. That was last week. This week, we're going to jump back into our series that we started two weeks ago on the gospel according to Mark. We've got a lot to do today. If you do have your journals with you, open them up, take some notes. By the way, these are the journals that we've been suggesting for you guys to go grab at Bridge Ministries. It's a good way to, to take notes and follow along as we're going through God's word on the gospel according to Mark. Bridge Ministries, go support the ministry if you can. If you don't... Just have, open up your Bibles and just take notes wherever you can. Here we go. Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 14. And here's what it reads. Now after John was arrested, Jesus, it says, came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, it says, they left their nets and followed Jesus. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I love the song that the great theologian and Bible scholar once wrote. He says this, the south moves north, north moves south. A star is born, a star burns out. The only thing that remains the same is everything changes, everything changes. This is found in this great commentary, the song called Life Marches On. No one's ever heard this song? I love this song. But isn't it true that things change? Boy, do they change. And if you ask me, they change rather quickly. Not so long ago, 40 years ago, in the 80s, things were way, way, way different. For example, there used to be something called a Polaroid. You guys ever remember a Polaroid? You take a picture, it goes, it'll come out and you blow on it. Hurry up, I want it to develop. Well, the Polaroid has changed into selfies. In the 80s, we had the Motorola 8000X Plus known as the brick phone. Big, huge thing. Does anybody remember the brick phone? Only the wealthy and the well-known had to carry around this huge briefcase that was called a battery. Huge. Well, that phone has changed into a small, compatible iPhone. Back then, we used to have this thing called a Rolodex. 
you had to write information down for people's phone numbers. And now that's changed into, hey, Siri, call so-and-so. 40 years ago in the 80s, we needed to be kind and rewind. We'd go to get our movies at Blockbuster. We grab our VHS, pop it into the VCR, and watch our movies. Well, that has changed. That is now known as Netflix. Everything, everything changes time to time. There used to be taxis back then. Now there's Uber. We used to have photo albums. We used to take pictures and put them into a book, and now it's known as Facebook. I'm going to age some of you. How many of you remember Columbia House? I'm not, am I the only old guy here? No. Okay, nice. Columbia House, for those of you that don't know what Columbia House was all about, you make an agreement with Columbia House to buy a certain amount of CDs and cassettes, and they send you for free like 10 or 12 CDs. Well, Columbia House has changed to Spotify. A lot of things changed, but I'm going to disagree with a great Bible scholar, Tracy Lawrence, and say that not everything, not everything changes. God's word never changes. God's word has always been and will always be. That will never, ever change. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand for how long? Forever. This book that I'm holding here known as the Bible, this is the truth. Not a truth. This is the truth. Nowadays, every may, everybody's making up their own truth. This is the truth that will never change. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Listen, I'm not going to get political. All I'm doing is biblical. There's always been and will always be two, two genders, male and female. That's it. That will never, ever change. Mark 10, 6, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, period. This is the truth, God's word. Marriage is between a man and a woman. That's it. I don't care what everybody else thinks about the truth. This is the truth. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man, male, should have his own wife, female and each woman female her own husband male that is the truth and that will never ever ever change don't get upset with me biblical and two other things that we're going to flesh out today that haven't changed and will never change is the gospel and discipleship the gospel has never and will never change. And his calling, whatever that looks like in your life, to follow Jesus Christ has not changed. So let's go back and exegete the verses we just read. And before we jump back into the verses we read, I want us to give us a little bit of context. What we learned two weeks ago. And Mark opens up his gospel saying, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? The son of man. And then we read about this guy, John, who's a little cocoa for Cocoa Puffs. He's living out in the wilderness. 
He dresses in camel hair, has a leather belt around his waist. He eats locust and honey. And he goes and, and tells the Israelite people, repent, ask for forgiveness of your sins and be baptized. He says, I'm going to baptize you with water, but there's somebody way, way greater than I who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And behold, Jesus shows up and he is baptized by John. And we read that the Holy Spirit in the form of a, of a dove comes upon Jesus. And then we hear God, this audible voice who specifically speaks to Jesus and says, you are my beloved son. You, Jesus, are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And then we read that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit immediately leads Jesus into the wilderness where he is tempted and we read in other Gospels, he is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, but he doesn't fall into temptation. He protects himself with God's word. And in the Gospel of Mark, we read that the angels come and they're with him during this time. So let's go back and unravel the first unchanging truth, which is the Gospel will never change. The Gospel will never change. Verse 14 again says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, if you were with us in the very beginning, three weeks ago, when we started the overview of this series, I mentioned to you that Mark is quick and he doesn't give us any details. And notice he skips out the details of what happened to John. One day we're hearing that he's baptizing in the Jordan River. And next thing we read, he is arrested. Why? Why does Mark skip out this detail? See, Mark wants his audience to know that John's mission had been accomplished. See, John's mission was to proclaim the way to the ultimate way, the truth and the life. And John knew this himself because we read this in the gospel according to John chapter 3 verse 29. Therefore... This joy of mine, John the Baptist says, is now complete. He must increase. Jesus must increase. But I must decrease. Mark also mentions that Jesus begins his ministry in this city called Galilee. Have you ever wondered why Galilee? Why of all the cities, why Galilee was where Jesus started his ministry? Now, Galilee was a city, it was a very big city. And the main industry in that city was fishing. There was a lot of diverse culture, but there was a lot of conflict in that city as well. But let me answer the question, why Galilee? Because it was to fulfill a prophecy which Jesus fulfilled thousands of prophecies. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, it reads, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 14 again. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Two weeks ago, we told you what this word gospel means, which means the good news. But notice, Jesus comes in proclaiming the gospel, the good news According to God, which belongs to God, the gospel of God. It's not the gospel about God. 
It is his gospel. What Jesus is coming to do is to proclaim the message of God. Salvation is here. The good news. That is the gospel that belongs to God. Verse 15, Jesus then says this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down next to these verses. Jesus has just made two declarations, two major declarations, and he's following it up by one major command. Two declarations, one command. He says, the good news contains, first of all, that the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. What does he mean? Church, for centuries... The Israelite people, the chosen people, the Jews had been waiting for a Messiah to be here. They were expecting the anointed one to save them. Now, they were expecting them to be saved politically, but Jesus came to save them spiritually. And what Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled. What Jesus is saying, all this time, all your preparation, all of the reading of the prophecies that you know, it is here. It is fulfilled. What he is saying, Messiah, Messiah is here. The time is fulfilled. That word time in Greek, there are two basic words that are used for that word time. The first one is chronos, where we get our word chronological. It's minute by minute, hour by hour. It's time that's taking place. That's the first word, chronological or chronos. The second word is kairos, and it's different. Kairos means a decisive time, a time within the time, a kairos within the chronos. In our English language, there are two words that are kind of similar to these two Greek words. It's like saying historical. That's chronos. Something that has happened. A past event. Historical. And our other word that we use to describe kairos, it's historic. A time that is decisive. A time that changes all of time. And what Jesus is declaring is that the time, the kairos, that will change the rest of eternity is here. Paul uses the same language in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of kairos, this decisive time in God's sovereign planning to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The time is fulfilled for the manifestation of the kingdom of God to be on earth. It's what Jesus is saying. That's the first declaration. The second declaration we read is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Kingdom in Greek is pronounced basilia, which means kingship or to have a royal rule. And what Jesus is declaring here by saying the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying that the Lord's, the Lord's kingship, is both a present reality, it's happening before your eyes, but there's also a future hope. It hasn't yet been 100% complete. God has always and will always reign. 
He is the author and creator of all things. We read this clearly in Isaiah 43, 15. I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. He has always and will always reign. But there is a future hope, the eschaton, the end times, where Jesus Christ will return as Lord of lords and king of kings and every knee will bow. But that time has not yet been fulfilled. That is a future hope. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The kingdom of God is at hand. Is a second declaration of Jesus. I love how D.A. Carson puts it. He says this. God's great countdown in history was over. And the time for blast off had come. The rule of God was about to begin on earth. Of course, in one sense, it had always been present, but this is at a deeper level. What Jesus is ultimately, ultimately saying is this, the kingdom of God is at hand because your king has arrived. The Messiah is now here. So because Jesus declares two things, the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Because these two things are happening before your very eyes, he is going to declare one command. One command. Verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. That word repent in Greek is metaneo, which means to change your heart to change your life. What it literally means is that if you're going in one direction, it means to stop and go totally the opposite direction. That is what repenting means. Repent. But Jesus says repent and believe. The word believe is pistio, which is to commit oneself wholeheartedly on an object of faith. Jesus is giving us one command, but we need to do two things. One command that are bundled together, bound together by repenting and believing. Repenting is walking one direction and turning away from something, but it's turning towards something, believing in something, putting your faith in something. And what Jesus is saying, repent and believe in him. The only way, the truth, and the life. That is the message of the gospel that is what will never change. The message of salvation is to repent and believe. Always has been, church, and always, always will be. Back to our text, verse 16. Jesus is going to call his first four disciples. It reads like this, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Now, this sea is not really a sea. It's just this really, really, really big lake. It's about 8 miles wide and about 13 miles long. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon. By the way, for those of you that don't know, Simon, his name gets turned to Peter by Jesus. It changes to Peter. Jesus calls him Peter later on. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Don't miss this. For they were fishermen. They weren't out there fishing. This is what they did. 
These were their jobs. This, this was their way of life. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, this word immediately, it's going to be used 42 times in the gospel according to Mark. And immediately, it says, they left their nets and followed him. Jesus continues to walk, and now he has Simon and Andrew, the brothers, walking behind him. And we read this in verse 19. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, two other brothers, who were in their boat mending the nets. They, too, were fishermen. And immediately, there's that word again, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with a hired servant and followed him. Brothers as well. Fishermen as well, but notice the difference. It says that they had their father with him and two servants. This implies that their business of being fishermen was a pretty successful business, a family business. To have servants back then, it required some sort of money. But they immediately left their business and followed Jesus. Before I move on, I want to make three very important observations on these two verses we just read, 17 and 18. Again, if you're taking notes, write these observations down. It will help you understand God's truth. First observation, notice Jesus sought out his followers. He sought out his followers. As a matter of fact, you read in the gospel, according to John chapter 15, he's at the last suppers with his apostles, and he says this, I chose you. It was me that chose you. And then he says, and now you're no longer my servants. You're no longer my students. Now I can call you brothers. My job has been done is what Jesus is saying. First observation is that he sought out his followers. He said, follow me, which literally means come after me. And back in those days, it it meant to go behind him, to follow him as a disciple. A disciple was a student, a learner, a pupil. And most of the times, disciples would follow rabbis. And see, if you wanted to get the cream of the crop to be studied under a high rabbi, you needed to be well-educated. You needed to have really good qualifications And the more impressive the rabbi was, the harder it was to become a disciple of such rabbi. But notice what a beautiful thing. Jesus, the rabbi of all rabbis, who, as we're going to read next week, taught with authority that everybody was amazed, chose unqualified, uneducated, fisher men. Never, ever, ever would you see a rabbi choose a student. But Jesus, like so many things, turned everything upside down. And he chose his followers. That's the first observation. Again, verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Second observation. Jesus would equip them to become fishers of men. If you have your Bibles with you, circle this word, become. He says, follow me, and I will make you become. 
fishers of men. That word become in Greek is genestia, which literally means prepare. Jesus is saying, look, I am going to prepare you for the mission I have at hand for you. I will prepare you. I will make you become what I want you to become for my kingdom. Jesus caught these fisher of men for his kingdom. And now he would equip them to become fisher of men to further his kingdom. Verse 17, again, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Observation number three, Jesus' call requires a response of discipleship. His call requires a response. It always has. And church, it always will. But notice, notice the way these men responded immediately. They didn't ask questions. They didn't doubt. They didn't complain. What they did, I am sure they repented. They believed that he was the Messiah. They left everything and followed Jesus. When God calls you, however that looks like in your life, to follow him, we need to respond the way these men responded. Remember, church, he chose them. He chose you. Remember, church, he helped them become. He will help you become to do the things that he has chosen you to do wherever you're at in your lives to further his kingdom. And all you and I need to do is respond, but respond in faith. So now that we know that the truth of the gospel, that it will never change. And now that we know that his calling, that his calling in your life to follow him, if that will never change, then I have a question for you. If those things haven't changed and won't ever change, the question I have for you, have those things changed you has the gospel changed you or have you changed the gospel if you get nothing else from this message listen church you can't truly receive the gospel without the gospel changing you if you truly have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you have been changed Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, brand new creation. The old, the old ways, the way that you used to be have passed away. Behold, the new has come. The gospel changes you, who you are, what you do, how you live. And if you haven't been changed by the gospel, then maybe you haven't received the gospel genuinely. Because the gospel church changes you and if you have not changed by the gospel then maybe maybe you have changed the gospel what do i mean we just read the command of the gospel is to repent and believe that is the message of salvation that is the gospel and what i'm saying is that i believe many of you have changed the gospel to be more of an emotional rather than a transformational change. 
Many of you are just going through the motions. I came to church. Check the box. I read my Bible. Check the box. I'm in a community group. Check the box. The gospel changes you. There's a transformation in you that is seen out of you. It's seen in the fruits of your labors, of your work, and what you do. Many of you, I believe, have changed the gospel from feeling bad to not truly repenting. Repenting, like I said, means living away, walking in a direction, and turning towards another direction. Many of you haven't repented because in order for you to repent, you need to realize that you are a sinner, that you are dead in your trespasses. You need to repent and seek after a Savior because I don't care who you are. We all need a Savior, and that Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who it is. Many of you maybe have changed the gospel and said, yeah, I've repented. But my question is, have you trusted? Have you believed? Again, repenting is turning from a direction, but believing in someone, and that is Jesus Christ. Some of you have repented, but are still trusting in your money, in your jobs, in your careers, in your family. It's repenting and believing. An atheist can repent, can repent and start believing a fat guy known as Buddha. It is repenting, but believing in the only way, the truth and the life known as Jesus Christ. It's both repenting and believing. That is the message of salvation that has never changed. The gospel will never change. His calling will never change. So if these two things will never change, the question is, have they changed you? Following Jesus Christ change you. If you're a true follower of Christ, you need to have some changes. So are you pursuing his calling or are you pursuing your comfort, your contentment? I'm going to be very honest and I'm being honest because I love you, church. Most of us are really content. Don't listen to the false teaching, the prosperity gospel. That once you become a Christian, God's calling your life is to be happy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. When you become a Christian, God's calling is for you and me to become holy. Big difference. I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he called you who is holy, you also be holy in all. Not some, not whenever you want to. In all of your conduct is what it says. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When you become holy, when you put him first and seek after his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you. You don't receive happiness, you receive joy everlasting joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ following Jesus Christ a true follower of Jesus Christ comes along with a cost there's hardships there always has there always will be look at what it cost the apostles they left their families they left everything as a matter of fact, we also read that Jesus 
was made fun of by his family as he began his ministry. He thought that he was crazy. In the same manner, I think some of you don't want to give up that hardship of letting go of some family. You're still following some certain religion or traditions because you don't want to hurt your family. It costs to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Look what it costs the apostles. Their careers, successful careers, they left their jobs to follow Jesus. I know many of you do not want to leave your certain calling. You're still pursuing what you believe is right. Things of this earth. Look what the apostles left. They left their comfort. And again, church, if we're honest, we just want to be consumers. We want to be comforted. We come to church and we expect comfort. I don't want to take too long in the parking lot. I don't want to park way, way over there. I better come in. I better get a seat. I got to wait. Are you kidding me? I have to wait. I'm late, but I have to wait. What's up with that? My kids, they better be taking care of the children ministry. Pastor, I've only got an hour. Hurry up. As a matter of fact, I'm leaving before the last worship song starts because I'm not comfortable. Does it ring a bell? I would rather stay at home because it's a lot more comfortable staying at home and watching this sermon on TV because after it's over, I can change the channel and watch my cowboys. Now, if you're a Steeler fan, you can stay at home and watch the Steelers. <laughs> There's hardship, church. There's things that we need to give up, but they're for our good. Ultimately, it's for his glory. That's what it's all about. You want to talk about cost. Just think about this for just a minute. The creator of all things. The king of kings. Christ Jesus left everything. Everything. Stepped out of heaven into this world we even read they didn't have a place to lay his head at night talk about cost he gave up his life so that you and I and anyone who trusts in his sacrifice could have eternal life I'm glad that Tracy Lawrence wasn't right that not everything changes I'm ecstatic that the gospel will never change and his calling will never change and church I pray that we truly become a church that gets to know him better and proclaims him to others I pray that we become true followers of Jesus Christ no matter the cost I pray that we become fishers of men. Will you pray with me? Father God, I love you. I praise you. And Father, search our hearts. I know a lot of times your word, your word hurts. But if we believe this is the truth, then we are to obey not just some of your truth, but all of your truth, no matter matter the cost and grace bible church your church will always follow your word the truth will always follow your son the way the truth and the life 
So I pray, beginning with me, that we give up whatever it takes to pursue you, that we can be a church that is worthy of your calling, that we can be a church that knows you and makes you known. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. I love you, church. God bless you guys.